I want you to know that I am so excited about what God is doing through Genesis Church right now. You know, my, my wife and I, we are, are so grateful, so thankful to be here with our families and, and not so much just even to serve and that we were called here for a job or a position, but like we love the church. We love the people of this church that if we lived here for any other reason, I'm pretty confident Genesis Church would be our home. And, and this is the place that we're excited to be a part of and, and hope you are too. And I want you to know that one of the things that I value and that we value as a church is transparency and honesty in, in all that we do. And before we get started this morning, I want to take just a few minutes uh, with you to bring you up to speed on some things that are happening around here. Because you walked in today and you saw the banners and stuff and all the hoopla and you're probably wondering what in the world's going on. But we, we are excited that we have this great opportunity before us right now as a church that God is blessing this church in a number of different ways, that he is ultimately responsible, he has chosen us, and that we get to be a part of his exciting work. And as a result of his work, as a result of his continued blessings, we have, the, as a church, have the privilege of responding to what God is currently do, doing through us and what we believe that God is calling us to in the fu- future. Uh, there are roughly... 350,000 churches in America right now, and comparatively, a very small percentage of these churches will ever get to do what God is calling us to do right now. At this time, we as a church believe that we have been called, that we have the opportunity right now uh, to, to expand our facility and to expand our current ministries to better help people find their way back to God. And that's our mission as a church. It's helping people find their way back to God. And we believe that we're in a position right now that we cannot afford to delay, that the opportunity before us is an urgent opportunity. If you're new with us, our our mission as a church, I said it just a moment ago, is helping people find their way back to God. That's who we are. That's what we're about. It's in our DNA. It's in our culture that that's what we believe that we are called to do as a church. It's help people find their way back. And there are some great challenges and some incredible responsibilities that come with having such a bold mission. There really is. Uh, and um, I lost my place there for a second. Sorry, because I saw that they're passing out brochures. But so don't look at them if you're getting them. All right. Take, give me a second. Don't, and I can see from up here. So don't peek. I see the, the Dawson's already jumping all over this. All right. But anyway, no, I'm just kidding with you. Uh, There are some great responsibilities that come with having such a bold mission as a church. It means that lost people matter. You know, that men, that women, the students and and children in this community, that they matter to God. It it means a greater commitment to prayer for us as a church, that if we're going to be about helping people find their way back. Uh, It means that understanding that every person here, every person that calls Genesis Church their home has a very specific role and a very specific assignment uh, in in this community, in the life that you're living right now. And, And it means that realizing that God is always on the move and that we have to be ready and prepared as a church to respond with great faith to those great things and great challenges that God is calling us to do. As a church, it means having a facility. That, it, that is ready and prepared, that continually says to people, you're welcome to be here, and we've been expecting you to come. And that's where we are right now. I, I want you to know that you have an incredible team of elders that serve you as a church. The leaders of this church, they're servants, they're volunteers. They don't get paid to do it. I'm the only one that does get paid because that's what I do for a living, that only gets paid. But, but anyway, they, they volunteer, they, give, they love this church, they love Jesus. And they give time and we pray for you and we pray for the ministry of this church. And last summer we began to sense that God was saying to us, I need you to get ready. I need you to get ready to a greater thing that I'm going to do through you. And as a result, we began praying about our current facility here at 1702 Pleasant Street, really asking God, God, is this what you want for us? Is this where you've called us to be? How can we use this facility to its greatest potential? From there, we hired an architecture firm to better help us understand a a little more about who we are and the potential that we have even with this facility. We met with every ministry team here at Genesis and many volunteers asking questions about ideas and dreams. And we recently completed what I'll just call a connection group tour, if you would, where we got out into every connection group within our church to to hear from you, to share with you, to pray with you, uh, to talk about these ideas and dreams. And, and here's what I know, and here's what I believe, the confidence that God has given to us as leadership and as a church, and that is that this place, 1702 Pleasant, is our home. Yeah, God gave us a warehouse, you know, and we're pretty excited about that. That this is our home, and this is where we want to be, and as a result, we are currently negotiating a lease 
that could allow us to make as long as a 10 to 15 year commitment to this particular building. Uh, we're also excited to learn uh, as, as a result of some of the research done that we've still got plenty of room even to grow into this cur- current facility, not needing any more square footage. Uh, and that this, even this building, if used correctly, that we could grow to be 1,000 or 1,200 people right here in this place with several services. So it's an exciting time. And, and we feel like we've got a great opportunity before us. So we serve a great God and He's moving and we're ready to follow. Now you received a brochure when, when you came in. Don't open it yet. Again, just a second for those of you that haven't peeked yet. Oh, over the next four weeks, I'm going to be sharing with you a little bit about what we're dreaming and praying about, what it's going to take to expand our ministries and our facility here at 1702 Pleasant. We have officially entered into what we're calling a mission expansion project, and we are ready and prepared to expand our facility, our ministries, our purpose, and our mission. And so what you received, uh, this is for you. Where's mine hidden? Here's mine. Okay, you've got this cool little brochure. And if you get a chance, thank Sarah Davis. All right, Sarah Davis designed this for us, and we're pretty excited about it. But we're calling this mission expansion project next because that's just simply what we're asking God. God, what's next? What do you have next for us? What what, what are these next years going to hold? What's next uh, for our Gen Kids ministry? God, what's next? God, what's next for our student ministry? We're so excited about what's begun here, but what's next? God, we're excited about the people that we've reached. We're excited about the lives that have been radically changed forever and demonstrated in the baptisms on a Sunday morning, but what's next? Who's next? And God, what's next for my life? How are you continually preparing me to be a better follower of Jesus in my particular environments and situations. God, what's next? What, what's next for our church? If you open this up, and you can open it up now, to the inside cover, uh, the black page there. Just again, I'm not going to go through every bit of this, but a little bit of a description of our event. But I, I want to point your attention to, to our story. Uh, we have a great story as a church. And it's a story with a theme that goes something like this, that God is faithful. God is faithful and he is good and he has a specific plan and a specific purpose for this church. And it's an exciting story and, and, and you can read through that a little bit. The, the next page, the page over to the right talks about the opportunity again that's before us. So we have this great opportunity, you and I as followers of Jesus, to partner with him and the work that he's doing right here in Hamilton County. It's an opportunity for you to invite you know, your co-workers and your neighbors and your friends, you know, men, women, students and children. You know, to help them understand what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. We are growing as a church, you know, as that bottom graph demonstrates, as you look around you, we are growing. You know, God has chosen this church. He's doing a great work through this place. You know, we had our largest Sunday on Easter Sunday back just a few weeks ago. And here's the thing that I know about this church and the thing that I've learned, that Genesis has never been satisfied with sitting still. But it's always been asking, God, God, what can we do next? And that's where we are right now, asking once again, God, what's next? What do you have in store for us right here at 1702 Pleasant? The very next page, the red page, talks about next steps. Here's some of the things that we've learned, uh, some of the conclusions that we've come to. Number one is that we want to maximize this facility. And we believe that God has given this building to us as an instrument. Uh, It's a tool to be used for His purposes. God has the greatest intentions to get the most out of us. He wants the, the most out of you and I, and I think he wants that for us and with this facility too. And so we know that on the other side of this wall here, that 25% of our space in this building is currently unfinished. And there's some great things happening over there right now, but we believe there's even greater things in store. It was never our intent to have an indoor soccer field forever. And my boys love it more than anything. My son, Joel, was looking at this plan last night, and he said, Daddy, where will the soccer field be? Well, Joel, we have a conversation we need to have or whatever. So it was the first tough conversation, fathers. But anyway, you know, we're excited about the potential uh, of the other side there. Um, The second thing is because we are committed to children and because we're committed to reaching students, we want to look at reconfiguring our space in order to better reach children and to create more appropriate space to reach students. I am so excited about what's happening in our student ministry right now, and I'm excited for you, for us, as we continue to make a commitment that, hey, we think we can reach more. We think we can have an even greater impact in students' lives. The third thing, we want to create space that's flexible. That's an ongoing theme that's come up in so many of our meetings that, okay, we need to be flexible with our space. And so while one particular space might serve students on Sunday mornings, it needs to be flipped and be ready to be a place where a financial piece 
group can meet on a Sunday night or a, a women's connection group can meet during the week. And, and this is a burden that I've had, and I know I've heard it from some of you, that we, we feel this burden of our building sitting empty during the week. What would it look like if we began to view this building as a tool even for the rest of the community? that there were various groups that we could invite to come in and to use this facility throughout the week. Again, just some awesome opportunities. And finally, the last thing, we need to make sure that we have a seat for everyone who comes. Again, it's a part of our mission, our bold mission statement. And we want to make sure that our facility communicates a message to anyone who walks in that just simply says, hey, you're welcome here. We've been expecting you. Uh, That very next page gives you just a brief uh, or just a, a simple outline. This is the best picture that we had for when we had to go to print with this brochure. But there's an even better picture out there in the next zone, which is just that little area we have set up. You can take a look at that. We're going to be posting additional pictures on our website, on our Facebook page. Next week, we'll have a couple of new ones for you to see, just again to show you some of the things that we've been thinking about. But if you focus on the bottom half of the page, and if you get your bearings and notice where we are in the sanctuary there, you can see on the bottom right is that 25%. And again, just some of the ideas uh, that we have. And then as you continue off into the Gen Kids area of breaking up some of our larger spaces into individual rooms so that we can better serve kids in the appropriate age rooms and some new bathrooms there. And again, lots of exciting things. So we'll, we'll talk more and more about that. But what will it take? I know that's the one everybody's been waiting for and you peeked ahead, but uh, go to the, to the second to last page. What will it take? And I'm going to spend like a minute talking about this because we'll talk about it in weeks to come. Uh, we're looking at a $450,000 goal right now as a church. That's over and above our current giving. And we're talking about a two-year giving commitment. And again, we'll talk about that in the weeks to come. But $450,000 will allow us to do some pretty great things. And we're excited about that. Now, it might not get us everywhere we'd like to be, and we've got some additional ideas for the rest of the building and parking. But again, it gets us off to an incredible start. We know that as a church, if God decides to move in a pretty amazing way and we commit $450,000 and above, over and above, that that God's got some even greater incredible things in mind. But again, we're pretty excited about this God-sized goal. Briefly, uh, we want you to know two other things that we're committed to in that $450,000 goal. The first is we want to commit 10% of every gift given to outreach. And our particular belief in this is that God is going to bless us. He's going to do a great work and give us a pretty incredible opportunity. We want to go find a ministry outside of Genesis that is waiting and praying for God to show up in an amazing way. And we want to be a part of that great work. And so we're going to commit 10% to every dollar given, and we're going to send it on to outreach. The final aspect is we want to commit a small portion of it to future growth because we're going to continue to be mindful of future growth. We're starting to pray and think about what church plants or campuses or additional ministry opportunities look like that for the future. And we'd love to set aside a portion of that now. So even if that's in just the next few years, we can be ready for what God has in store. What do you need to do? What do you need to know? What what comes next? And then I wrap up here. The first thing is this, most important, just be informed. Uh, We do this on a Sunday morning because you need to be informed. This is your church. Uh, If you're new, we just want you to know who we're about, what we stand for. And so I want you to be informed. Listen, don't check out. Don't go on vacation for the next four weeks. Uh, You know, hang around here with us. Visit the next zone outside these doors. Kind of sounds like the Twilight Zone or something. But, you know, we'll have volunteers there to answer questions for you. You can share ideas, pick up some information you might have missed. Second thing, the last thing is this. I want to invite you to pray. Will you just simply pray with us that we continue listening to God, that he leads, that we follow? And and here's the thing, and here's what I know. I realize talking about things like this does create some anxiety. I I know that's very real. It's created some anxiety in our home, and I'm sure that's creating some anxiety for you. Uh, We realize that some of you are going through some very difficult financial times right now. Understand it completely. Uh, We realize this. We want to serve you and we want to pray for you. And and some of you are new to Genesis. And maybe you're coming here and the church that you left just started or just finished the exact same kind of deal, you know, and you're like, well, here we go again. What do you know? We're showing up here and and look look what Genesis is up to. Or maybe some of you are new to church and you've always held the opinion that churches are about expanding their facility and raising money. Well, I want you to know this, that we won't apologize for what we believe God is calling us to do right now. 
And I stand here as your pastor this morning and say wholeheartedly that I believe with all of my heart that God is calling us to do this. And we're not going to apologize for following God. We're committed to transparency, but, but here's what I want you to know and here's what I leave you with. I want you to know that I am so much more concerned about the condition of your heart than whether you ever put a dime in the offering bag here on a Sunday morning. Let me say that again. I am so much more concerned about the condition of your heart than whether you ever put a dime in the offering bag or even commit to this project. That's who we are about, and that's who we are, and we won't apologize for that. And so by our standards here, it's your decision whether you'll be a part of this. We trust that God is going to provide. I have one ask of you. Would you simply be willing to pray, God, what's my part in this? That's my only ask, that you would just pray before God, God, what's my part in this? What are you calling me to? And if you do that, I trust that God will do what he needs to do in you. And that, that might mean for some of you to not to be a part of it, but, but to pray for it. So we'll talk about this for a few minutes every week. We've got some other fun things to come, some items to pass out in the weeks to come. I'll share my story with you and my wife and I and how we're wrestling. We're not wrestling through this, but uh, I think we're in agreement on it. But uh, we are in agreement on it. But just kind of what, what does this mean for our family and our home? God's moving and we're going to follow and it'll be pretty exciting. Let me pray for you. God, thanks for today. You know, when, I, uh, when I'm reminded that I'm just a human being, um, I'm overwhelmed by the size of an event like this, a project like this, and the details of this, and, and how it requires such great faith. And I know I fail over and over again in that. But God, thank you for being gracious and merciful and, and for whatever reason that you even choose to use me. God, thank you for the men and women, the families in this room, Lord, who called Genesis their home who've been here a lot longer than I have for their continual sacrifices and unloading trailers on Sunday mornings and loading them back up that afternoon so that people would have a place to worship you and to learn more about you, that we've arrived all the way to this point and we just have to stop and say, thank you, God. Thank you for having a plan and a purpose for Genesis. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for the lives that have been changed how ours are continually being changed and for everything that's ahead. God, we give it all to you and we want to follow you and we just simply want to be obedient and we pray that you'd show us the way. God, I pray that every one of us would be willing God, to ask God, God, what do you want to do through me? That that would be our prayer and God, you would be very specific in helping us respond to that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, our middle school students are going to be dismissed. But before they do, see that guy standing in the back, Jake Schwab. Jake, you want to put your hands up in the air? Everybody turn and look at Jake. Yeah, we love Jake. Jake's been serving with our middle school students for about a year. He's a student over at Anderson University. He's going to work at a dude ranch this summer in Colorado. And uh, have you ever even been on a horse? So... Wow, all right. Well, anyway, we are, we're so thankful for Jake and for his great leadership and the volunteers that have been serving with him. We're hopeful that he's going to come hang out with us again in the fall uh, when he gets back from uh, his summer opportunities. But will you join me in just giving Jake a big thanks for all he's doing? We're, we're going to continue doing middle school all summer, and, and Josh and the team there are going to make sure we've got some great things happening. But uh, Jake's off for some good times in Colorado, and middle school students can be dismissed with him now. We've, we've got a group that meets during this time, so feel free to go. Last Sunday, and I'm going to talk fast today, last Sunday we wrapped up a series called The Upside Down Way of Jesus, that you and I are called to be followers of Jesus, not fans. And there, there's a, a great difference. Jesus wasn't really into fans uh, that's not who I want to be, and I think for many of you, that's not where you are either. We don't want to be fans of Jesus. We want to be followers of Jesus, and that's what Genesis Church is about. That's our future. Uh, as we seek to make some greater commitments to our faith and our life and, and our life in Jesus, I think it's natural to come out of a series like that and asking that question, fan or follower, and with a, with a desire for some additional commitments to really ask God, what's next? 
Yeah, that's where it's where the theme comes in. God, what's next for me? What are the, the next steps for me? What do you have in mind for me? What does it mean for me to move more and more away from simply being a fan of Jesus to being a follower of Jesus? What does that look like? What's next? What's, what does that mean for our church? If you've got your Bibles, I would like, invite you to take them to first turn and uh, to First Peter chapter 2. We're going to be in the New Testament for a little while, well, for all the time here this morning, but First Peter chapter 2. And as you're doing that, uh, let me give you some background information to kind of give you a better idea of what's happening here in First Peter. Uh, Peter is the author of this particular letter. He's writing to followers of Jesus, to believers all throughout the Roman Empire. And some of them were living in their homes, but many of them, because of persecution, had scattered and, and, and run off to these different places to hide. And so life was difficult for Christians, you know, terribly difficult. We're talking like persecution. You know, many had been beaten, you know, and stoned, murdered executed, imprisoned, you know, for those who had escaped these brutalities, chances were that they knew someone who had been a victim of these atrocities. And so Peter is writing this letter to them saying, hey, I know what you're going through because it's for me too. I I sense where you are, but but be strong. You know, keep up the faith, keep living. You can make it. Our hope is in Jesus and he can help you get through. And and so he's writing this letter to followers of Jesus then, but it applies to us today. You know, the Bible says that it is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. This, this word of God, these words that Peter are writing are for you and me too. And my prayer this morning is this, that you would be willing to pray, God, what's next for me? You know, as I think about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ rather than a fan, what are you trying to say to me through this letter this morning? What's next for my life? First Peter chapter 2, verse 4, Peter writes, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him. You know, Peter starts off by referring to Jesus here as the living stone. Notice that that word stone, the first letter of the S there, is capitalized. You know, we can come to him as followers of Jesus Christ because of what Jesus Christ has done. We can have a relationship with God and we can come to Jesus and we can go to God because of what Jesus has done for us. And Peter here describes Jesus as this living stone. And this is a reference all the way back to Psalm 118 verse 22. If you're taking notes and you want to look that up later for yourself, Psalm 118, verse 22. And as our living stone, we are reminded that our hope and our life is in Jesus Christ. And though he was rejected by many, he is now the cornerstone. He he was chosen by God. There was nothing accident about Jesus' life. Everything was intentional and purposeful. Every detail had a purpose. Verse 5, Peter says, You also like living stones, now notice the S there is not capitalized, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we are these living stones, meaning, you know, every broken, you know, jagged, rugged, you know, large stones, small stones, every one of them, you know, these stones, they represent our lives. We are all different. But we are being built, you and I, into this spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. God takes each of us, you know, imperfections and all. God takes your past. He takes the worst decisions you've ever made in your life. He takes our strengths. He takes the good things about us, every one of them. It's all about bringing us together to be this church. You know, Genesis Church is not a building. You know, I, I, I refer to this building sometimes as our church. You know, it kind of drives me crazy a little bit. I'm guilty of it. But Genesis Church is not a building. Genesis Church is people. Every one of us living stones with our own stories and our own past, our, our great mistakes, our great failures, our imperfections, our gifts and all, we, we make up this church. You know, you and I are Genesis Church. You know, God's doing the building. He shapes us and prepares us to better fit together to serve Him. And He's working through us. He's got a great plan and a mission before us. And it will be fulfilled. Verse 9. Skip over a few verses. Peter says, hey, but you're a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into this wonderful life. I, I, I like that word there. And if, you, if you've got your own Bible and you want to circle it, just the word chosen. You know, maybe your translation says a different thing, but it says chosen in the NIV. You and I are chosen by God. It, it's a great word. 
And I hope that you can find encouragement this morning that, you know, maybe your life is nothing but ongoing rejection. You know, you look back to your childhood and to your adolescence and into your adult life, and maybe it's just one rejection after another. Guess what? Not with God. We are a chosen people. You are a chosen person. You are perfect in the sight of God for what He has called you to do, what He is calling you to do. And what is that? Well, according to the text here, to declare the praises of Him who has called you out of darkness and into this wonderful light. God has called us into a life with purpose. You know, it's how we choose to live at at home. It's how we choose to live at work. It's how we choose to live at school or in our neighborhoods or on our campus. You know, when no one else is around, we have been called by God out of darkness and into this great, wonderful light. It's a life with purpose and meaning and hope. One more verse. Skip over a few more to verse 21. Peter kind of wraps up this section and he says, hey, here's what. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. You know, because we are chosen, because we are a people belonging to God, called out of darkness and into this wonderful light, as we think about what it means to follow Jesus and to ask, God, what's next for me? What's next for Genesis? I think it all comes down to this verse. We are called. You and I have been called by God. I don't believe you're here by any accident. And even your situation and even possibly the circumstances of your life right now, great chance that it's not an accident. You and I are called by God to do what? To follow in His steps. And that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's to say, that man right there, I want to be like him. Not me, Jesus. I want to be like him. I want to be like that teacher. I want to be like that rabbi. That's the man that I want to model model with my life. And so that's where we begin this morning. It's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And, and so we're, we're coming out of this series where we're talking about the difference between a fan or a follower. And we're moving right into this one. We're saying, hey, here's what it is. Here's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so that's where we start. We're looking to Jesus. We want to follow in his steps to be more like him. And so the first thing that we start with, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down. It's simple. It just gets to the point. But you and I are called to care. You and I are called to care. We're called to give a rip about the people living around us. (laughs) Can I say that? Uh, The the people we work with, the the people that live on your cul-de-sac right now, the people that live in your dorm. The people on your team, you know, the, the parents on my kid's baseball team, you know, we are called to care. Jesus cared. He cared for those around him. He cared for his friends, his family. He cared for the people that he bumped into, the hurting. And what I want you to know this morning is that, that caring is more than an emotional feeling. It's more than just simply feeling emotion. Caring means to act. Caring is followed by action. The word in the Greek in the New Testament for caring or for compassion is the Greek word splagnizomai. And I practiced it all week and I nailed it right here. It's splagnizomai, all right? It's the Greek word for caring and for compassion. It's a rich word. It's a deep word. It means to have your bowels yearn, which I don't really know what that means. It's a little gross, but that's what my commentary said. It means to have your bowels yearn. It means to feel deep sympathy, to ache so much on the inside that you are moved to action. You have to respond. You have to do something. It's translated care or compassion, but it's so much more than compassion as we often understand compassion. It's aching and hurting that leads to action. It means to respond. It means to do something. And here's what's interesting. You can look at every situation in the Bible and in the Gospels where Jesus experienced compassion or care or splagnizomai. And his emotional reaction was always followed by action. He did something. Let me show you just real briefly. And I'm going to read them fast so you probably won't be able to get there in time. But Matthew 14, 14. It says, When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, when he got off the boat, He had compassion on them. He had splagnizomai. And then what he did, he had to do something. He healed their sick. Matthew 20, verse 34, Jesus encounters these blind uh, persons. And it says, Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. 
immediately they received their sight and followed him. So he had splagnitzomai, and then he responded. There was an action that followed. Mark six thirty three to 34. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of him. And when Jesus landed, when he got off the boat and saw a large crowd, he had splagnitzomai on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And what did he do? What was the action? What was the response? He began teaching them many things. He had other places to go, other people to be with, but he taught them many things. So he, he cared, he felt compassion, and when he did, Jesus acted. And that's the life that you and I are called to. We are, we are called to care, we are called to compassion, we are called to some sort of action. We are called to follow in the steps in the, of the one who gave his life for us. And, and as you think about what's next in your life, what do you believe God may be calling you to, even this afternoon or this week or in the summer to come or in the year to come? And whether you want to be a follower or a fan of Jesus, we think about what's next for our church. As followers of Jesus, I believe we are called to a greater level of caring and concern and compassion for the people around us. And with that, action. So I want to take a look just very briefly at a story that's so familiar to us, a well-known story, a parable that Jesus told. You know, parables were stories. They were fictitional stories, but they were very believable stories that Jesus was borrowing from the elements of culture to help people get their minds around an idea. And that's what he's doing here with this parable, this particular story. And it's the story of the Good Samaritan. I mean, most of us, if not all of us, have heard it before. But with the story of the Good Samaritan, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, here's what it means to care. Here's what this compassion thing looks like as followers of Jesus. Here's what it means to live. So turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 10. We'll have it for you on the screen if you don't have your own Bible, but Luke chapter 10. You know, in Luke 10, uh, an expert in the law, a a religious bigwig of sorts, a Pharisee, he's having a conversation, a debate of sorts with Jesus, and they're talking about eternity and hope and church and stuff. And the Pharisee basically asked this question of Jesus. I see that you're calling people to a different way of life. I see that you're calling them to follow. Show me what that looks like. Tell me what that looks like in my life. And so Jesus does. What's it mean to care, he asks. In Luke 10, verse 29, let's skip over actually to verse 30. In reply to the man's question, here's how Jesus responds. He starts telling this story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now the road from Jerusalem to Jericho had the reputation of being a very dangerous road. It was this 17-mile strip of road in between these two places, ups and down, you know, these mountainous ranges. Now, I'm not talking about dangerous in like I-69 at the I-465 interchange kind of dangerous, you know, like you're going to fall off the side or something, but like thieves dangerous. I mean, it had a reputation for thieves that they would hang out along this road, hide behind rocks, and then jump out and do a little mixed martial arts style, you know, on people, you know, take everything that they had, kill them, or leave them half dead, and run off. And so it's a dangerous place. Now Jesus is describing this guy who's the victim of this brutality. He's half dead, barely holding on. But fortunately, as the story goes, there are two people not too far behind that are walking this same road, two separate people, and they're coming down the road. Verse 31, it says, a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Verse 32, so too a Levite, which was the priestly family, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. And so we've got these two religious guys, we'll just call them pastors, that are also coming down the road on separate occasions. And what did they do when they saw the man? They passed to the other side. Have you ever passed to the other side of an opportunity? I'm not going to lie, I have. In fact, it's probably my natural bent or my natural reaction at times is, okay, how can I escape this moment or whatever? I mean, a classic example for me is, you know, I'm in my car, I'm backed up at a really long stoplight, I see up ahead, here's a guy with a sign, he's got a can, he's going door to door looking for some sort of handout. And there's some sort of relief that comes over me when the light turns green and I know I can speed ahead or if there's an out that I can get to the passing lane or whatever. I've I've been guilty of passing to the other side. 
Are you guilty of passing to the other side when, when opportunities present themselves to us? And now here are these guys, and they kept walking, but now before we cast judgment, let's just give them the benefit of, that, of the doubt. Maybe it's been a really long week. In fact, you know, they, they work at the temple or somewhere else, and um, it just lots of vacation time that week. And so the staff is down, and they're having to carry some extra responsibilities. Or maybe a number of issues came up with various families or their own particular family throughout the week, and so they were on their way somewhere that definitely was more important than this particular moment. I mean, maybe the transmission went out of the uh, church van or the temple van. And we're not going to get a van, I promise, as a church. But, you know, maybe, maybe that's what happened with these guys. And so they spent a lot of time with the mechanic trying to get the van fixed. Maybe each thought this was a trap, you know, that there was someone else hiding behind the rock waiting to jump out and, and to take what they had. Or maybe each thought, well, you know what, I bet this guy had it coming. Uh, he's never really kept a job. He's lazy. I bet he's got a gambling problem. I bet he's got an alcohol problem or something. Maybe, maybe one of these guys or each of these guys had a conversation with that like that in their head as they passed to the other side. If you're taking notes, write this down. As we think about caring and compassion and showing Christ's love, you and me, and what this looks like in our lives and what this requires, as you encounter people in your life who need, who need love or who need care, you will always have an excuse to justify not getting involved. I'm just saying it like it is because I'm guilty of it. You and I will always have an excuse to justify not getting involved. And when you see someone in need, just be prepared for the conversation that will go on in your head in that particular moment. You know, I'm running late. I can't help this time. I don't have the money. I, I don't have the time to get involved. Or why invest in those Haitians? I mean, it's pointless. I mean, they're just, it's just all bad news. But the reality is this. There are opportunities all around you and me every day to care and to show compassion to someone else. And here's what I want you to see today, that these opportunities to care, to reach out, to show compassion, I believe that they are opportunities given to us by God as His chosen people to the work that we are called to in this world. Now, does that mean that realistically we can respond to every single situation as it presents itself? Probably not. But it kind of means going into an attitude of life every day of God, how do you want to use me? Because I have been chosen, because you have called me to this life. If we want to be followers and live as Jesus lived, we have to want the heart of Jesus. And that's what Jesus is trying to communicate in this story. Now, a few quick things about caring. And, and here are a few things that I think we see in this story this morning that I, I'd like for you to take if you want. Number one, caring can be inconvenient. Uh, caring, uh, being involved, responding to the needs of others as it comes up in your day-to-day life, it can be inconvenient. And I'll just tell you that up front. I just want to be real honest because I've experienced it. I mean, caring can inconvenience you. I mean, it doesn't show up on your Blackberry. You know, that, hey, now's the hour, you know, that, that you show care. I mean, it's rare that we wake up in the morning and say, you know what, I'm just going to care for someone today. You know, that you specifically picture something in your mind. Now, once in a while that happens, but, but it's rare. And so caring can inconvenience us. It's a divine interruption. And there are opportunities given to us every day to participate in the work that God is doing. You know, you may not have planned them. You may not have prepared for them, but God did. Let's continue in his story. Verse 33. It says, But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. Now, so this Samaritan man showed compassion. It's the same word, splagnitzomai. And we have this half-dead guy. He's Jewish. You know, and the guy who stopped to help him was a Samaritan. And that's very important because Jews and Samaritans hated one another. They considered Samaritans half-breeds. They were half-Jews. They were lesser than dogs. The best example or the best comparison that I can think of today would be how a white supremacist feels towards a person of another race. That's what we have here. And the Samaritans knew they were hated. But this guy stopped and he showed compare and compassion. What's Jesus' point? You know, why does he tell this story to this Jewish Pharisee who's standing right there? He's saying, hey, this is the way that I live. This is the life that God has called us to. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. 
It's an act of care. It's this perfect example of compassion. I mean, this, this guy, this Samaritan, didn't wake up that morning and say, you know, what? I'm going to go find a, a half-beaten-down Jew today and see if I can reach out and help him. No, the opportunity presented itself to him, and he responded. And even with the interruption, he stopped, he felt compassion, and he acted on it. And sometimes you and I were given opportunities in our day, you know, opportunities we didn't plan for. And, and here's what, God, what I believe that God is up to in my life and what he's up to in your life on a daily basis. That there are opportunities ready, waiting to present themselves to you and me to share and to show compassion and care for someone else. I mean, maybe it's a coworker that just found out that his wife has breast cancer. And for whatever reason, your stories align and, and you, you just you understand where he is in this. And maybe it's, it's knowing and realizing that, hey, we sort of do the same job here, so why don't you let me take some of your workload right now because I know that all of this news is consuming you. Or is there something that we can do for your family right now? Or, hey, can I take you out to lunch today and, and just be ready and willing to listen? You know, maybe it's the neighbor whose husband just left for another woman. And now you know that this neighbor, this single mom, she's, she's got a whole new ball game ahead of her. She's not only dealing with her own pain and her own brokenness, but she's trying to take care of kids and, and manage her life all on her own. And, and you're wondering, oh, what could I do? I mean, God, what do you want to do through me in this situation to show care for this person? Maybe it's a married couple in your connection group. And you know they're struggling with some real family issues right now. And you're able to get involved. Or it's your son who's just really looking for some quality time with mom or dad right now. And it's saying, you know what, I'm going to rearrange my priorities to give my son his, the, my full attention. You know, I believe there are divine opportunities around us, opportunities that we are being invited into by God to care and to respond. You know, when you, uh, when you came in today, you should have received, and I lost them in the first service too, there they are, that this pad of post-it notes. Just a quirky little thing. It says next on the top. What would we get so motivated in this that maybe you'd be willing to invite your family to participate, that uh, you take these home with you today and uh, your, your son shows care in some way, shows love or compassion to someone else and shares that at the dinner table? You write that down on the post-it note, you put it up on the refrigerator. You know, and you just start encouraging your children. Now, I realize if you don't have kids, that might sound a little hokey to do, but, you know, what if? You know, what if this is your motivation that, okay, I'm just going to always every day take a look at that post-it notepad and I'm going to write phone numbers and recipes and shopping lists down on there. But every time I look at that post-it notepad, I'm going to remember, oh yeah, what does it mean for me to show love and care and compassion for someone else? Here's what we're going to do right outside these doors and to the right there. You, you see we've got this next zone set up and there's red paper on the wall and black paper on the wall. You probably saw a number of post-its when you were coming in. You know, something happens in your family, your kid does something, you put it on the fridge for the week. What if you bring it in on Sunday and you put it up on that wall? Don't put your name on there, you know, so we can read it and give you the credit or whatever. But, uh, you know, that other people that we can just kind of all share in this experience together. What does it mean to show care and compassion? Maybe it's a name. Maybe it's something that was done. You know, I, I, I passed on that $4 cup of coffee this week and, and I did something else with it. Instead, I bought someone else, you know, a cup of coffee. How can we show care and compassion with, you know, let, let yourself be motivated, get your kids involved too. I know they're going to be talking about that in Gen Kids. But another thing that we learn about caring and compassion, number two, is not only does caring inconvenience us, but, but it can cost to care too. Verse 35, it says, The next day this good Samaritan, he took out two silver coins. You know, they're staying at the end, they're at the, the Holiday Inn Express, and, and he gives them these two silver coins to the innkeeper, and here's what he says, look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. And so this Samaritan doesn't simply help this guy to his feet or drop him off at the ER and hope he gets a ride home or something. He cares for this guy by staying the night with him and then providing for the resources that he's going to need to help him get well over the course of whatever time this is going to take. But two coins. Now, how much are these two silver coins? Well, well, some say that it was equivalent to about two days' wages. All right, so this is a pretty generous gift. And he says, hey, take care of this guy, and when I return, I'll come back. I'll reimburse you for whatever expenses this man might have incurred before he leaves. I was trying to think of an example of, you know, maybe something in my life where, you know, I was called or my wife and I were called where, where it cost us something to 
to show an act of care. Jenny and I, just after we were married, we were living over in Anderson. I was working for AU as an admissions counselor, and uh, we had our first house. Uh, It was just the two of us trying to get on our feet, figure out marriage, all that stuff, who's cooking, who's cleaning, you know, all the fun stuff that comes with being newlyweds, although we're still trying to figure some of that out today. But uh, I usually miss my part. But anyways, um, you know, we had just a you know, a a decent income, and we had college bills and other expenses, so there wasn't a lot of extra. Well, we we got to know this one particular student. Her name was Melanie, and she worked in the admissions office with us. She was from New York, uh, and because of funds in her house, um, she couldn't go home for Christmas. And so she had already made arrangements to stay in Anderson without any family for Christmas, and we kind of learned her story. And I, I sort of wanted to pass by to the other side on that story, but God kind of brought us over to her story and and we love this girl and we got to know her and we decided you know what why are we buying each other gifts for christmas and so we made a commitment that particular christmas we took whatever money we were going to spend on one another and we bought this girl a plane ticket uh, to get home for christmas and it was so awesome to drop her off at the airport and then to pick her up when she came back and you know, in that particular situation, it cost us something, but it, it did something for my wife and I that even today we rarely buy each other a Christmas gift. Uh, and that's okay for us. It doesn't have to be the same for you. But it, it just moved in us to be a part of that, that act of generosity. You know, it, it's moved us and motivated us to the point that every year for Christmas we try and find something different to do. And I know that many of you do the same, and you've demonstrated that in your giving. But what can you do? How can you show care to someone else? You know, maybe right now it's extra. You've got a bunch of extra kids' clothing. And you thought about doing a garage sale to make some extra cash. But you know, hey, there's a family in our church or I've got a neighbor and I know that they're going through a tough time right now. But their kids, they're coming up behind my kids. I, I, I bet I could give this clothing to them right now and it would just really help out with some of the things that are going on. Maybe for you it's just picking up a few extra groceries every time that you go to the grocery store. You know, once a month here, we highlight the food drive that we do. And, and maybe it just means bringing in one extra, you know, sack of groceries to, to give to provide for someone else. You know, maybe for, for your family, you know that there, there's a friend that you have that they're really trying to get on their feet. And they don't have a reliable car right now, but he's trying to get a job. And, and for you, you look in your driveway and you say, we got three cars. And most of the time, there's at least one of them still sitting there. I mean, well, I wonder if, since that's a reliable car, if we could if we could loan that car for a period of time to that family and help them get going, help them get a good start. And, you know, maybe, maybe you don't have money to give right now. Maybe you don't have the resources to share, but you can give time. And, and for some of you, it's easier to write a check, and you've been very generous in this, but maybe for you it's time to give time. That you can find yourself in a situation where you see the work that God is doing. You get to be a part of that moment and how God shapes your life through it. I mean, true care and compassion it can cost. The last thing, and then I wrap up, is this. And this is where our mission as a church really comes in. And it's not an excuse. I think I kind of termed this wrong, but it's the last thing about caring, that caring, it changes lives. I mean, the opportunities that God gives to us to care and to show compassion and respond are capable of changing lives. I mean, look at Jesus all the way through the Gospels. He was interrupted over and over again, but watch as he gives and he heals blind eyes and he spends time with people who were outcasts and rejects and he he cares for those that no one else would, the, the children and the widows and the prostitutes and the tax collectors. Jesus cared for those who had needs. He felt the love of God so deeply that he was compelled to act. And so for me, I can't help but wonder how many times a day I miss opportunities to respond. Because when I do life with my own tunnel vision, with my own schedule, not wanting to be interrupted in any way, I believe that I miss opportunities given to me by God to respond. And if I can say this, I I think we probably all share in that. I, I, I don't think that I'm alone in that. At least I hope not. But what opportunities may God be putting before you today, tomorrow, to share and to show compassion for someone else. Where is this for you? What environment does God have you in or does He want to put you in? Where can you show that care? You know, it it might be just where you are. I I read a book back a couple of years ago entitled um, Irresistible Revolution by Shane Claiborne. He talks about going to India, to Calcutta, India, to work with Mother Teresa 
And uh, having been there, that whole experience of seeing people with such great pain and uh, such great tragedy in their life, so impoverished, nothing, living on the streets, half dead, barely alive. I mean, the day arrived when it was time to go home. He was to get on a plane and come back to the United States. And he writes in this book about his final conversation with Mother Teresa. He says, "I, I feel like I have to stay. Like that I need to be here, that I need to be able to show love and compare, or, you know, compassion and you know, care for others. And Mother Teresa's words to him were the greatest words as he got on that plane. And they were these, you go find your own Calcutta. You, you've got a Calcutta around you right now. You've got a person around you right now. You're in an environment, a situation, a circumstance. And guess what? It's on purpose. Because you are chosen by God, because you are called by God to speak as one who was formerly in darkness, but who has been called into the light. And God is giving you opportunities to respond in your current circumstance right now. Are you ready for them? Are you ready to say yes? And I realize that getting your mind around lost people or getting your mind around hurting people can be a little overwhelming at times. And so here's my final challenge to you this morning. What if all of a sudden for you it just became one person? Because I truly believe that if we went to God, if we gave God permission to speak into our lives and in our hearts, that God would bring to revelation one person in every single person's life here who needs to be shown care and compassion and love and the message of Jesus Christ. Here's how we end. The the band's going to come up. They're going to play one last song. But before we get into that last song, we're just going to give you a minute or two. Would you be willing to take out a a pen or a pencil or something? You've got your pad of Post-it notes. Would God put one person on your mind this morning? Just one name. And maybe it's your your sister. Uh, Maybe it's that guy that's working on that particular project with you at work right now. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's that uh, teammate of yours. Maybe it's uh, your roommate in the dorm right now. One person. Would God bring one person to your mind? Would you be willing to write that person's name down on this this little post-it note this morning? And then here's what I want you to do. As you leave today, I hope that you'll immediately go to your right, and I just hope you'll put that post-it note up on the wall. Because we've got a group of people that are going to be praying about those. Uh, We want to partner in this together. We just want to see the work that God is doing through us as He calls us to even greater things. Take a moment. If you've got a pen or a pencil, be willing to pass it down the aisle because everyone else might not have one. We've got pens out there too. Who's one person for you today that God may be calling you to show care and compassion?